0: Uh, Thanks for joining us, uh, Julie, on the program. Before we go any further, I'd like to acknowledge uh, the traditional owners um, and also pay my respects uh, to the warriors uh, who laid down their lives um, for us to be here today, uh, to pay the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our mob. Um, You know, and I hope through these series of interviews um, that we pay homage and respect not just to them, but then also their living descendants who are uh, remaining today and. You know, for the rest of our mob um, as well, you know, we'd love to pay respects to them. Uh, these stories um, are very powerful stories um, that I want to tell and share uh, on this podcast series, um, which is called Frontier War Stories, where I chat to mob uh, and also a non-mob um, about uh, frontier figures, um, whether they're individuals or whether they're uh, sort of clans uh, or, or a group of people that participated um, in the resistance. Um, from the first uh, 140 years um, of conflict um, and also settlement of this country as well. Um, so I'd like to introduce uh, my guest for this week. Um, is Julie Downing? Uh, good morning, to so say Hi, hey, good
1: How's um, everyone?
0: We're, uh, we're yep. all good on this side of the country. Yep. Um, just before you go any further, could you tell us your mob in your country, please?
1: okay i'm uh Waradah clan buddy first nation which is in the midi- midwest of w a
0: yep. thank you um and just a, a bit of background on the on the podcast as well one of the reasons why i wanted to, I wanted to do this is i love uh, the history or i love history in general you know um uh, but i love the history that um our people have participated in and also changed um for us and other Indigenous history as well around the continent. Um, and one of the reasons why I wanted this podcast is um, I don't think, oh, you know, I don't think it, the access to this history is as accessible. Um, and my, I myself personally, you know, uh, reading is, I find very difficult. Um, have always, you know, and, and still do. You know, so I wanted to sort of, how can I, you know, understand these stories more um, and how can i sort of share those stories with other people who may or may not you know, have difficulties like i do with reading but so yeah. one of the reasons why i want to do this no, I'd is like to, to tell those that stories one as in well particular. Yeah, for sure
1: i mean um my sister is actually a radio producer a documentary maker mm-hmm. one of the early kind of resources that was started in in um you know the the way that we used to do resistance was from the radio mm. so a lot of these stories you don't not know this but Maybe you do, but a lot of really good radio stations from the early day would have an archive about resistance fighters and history and interviews about this. Mm -hmm. They have those kind of audio um, resources available for people who can't read well. Mm -hmm. And those kinds of things are very important to have because people aren't really aware that those things still exist because one of the first places they tried to shut down were these radio stations. And my sister started out at WAMA, it's called WA Aboriginal Media Association, right? Mm -hmm. And they have a huge archive of interviews with historians and oral histories from early on. Like when the radio first was given us, you know, right back in the early days, like the late sixties. So these kinds of interviews and stuff are very important for everyone. And they still do documentaries. My sister still does documentaries yeah, exactly. about resistance and stuff. So if mm. I start sounding like I'm in the radio, it's only because mm. of backhand, because of my sister. Yeah, no, all she's like a big, she's, she talks like a radio person, true. So.
2: Mm, mm. Um, well, you yeah. know, sorry?
1: Yeah, it's important. It's all important that uh, people know that those sort of things are available. so. Mm.
0: And, and then I guess um, also as well, it's like flipping the script on how history um, has been told. And, and, and how, how we used to tell it as well. You know, sort of giving it back yeah. to that oral or sort of, you know, that um, art form of how we used to sort of tell stories, how we used to participate in, in, in creating well, these stories as well.
1: Yeah, well, all of that is related to what we call editor in Buddy Mai, which is mm. really about transference of knowledge as a, as a zone of governance. Mm. It's our self determination, basically. And one of them is to correct language, things like the word settler really drives me nuts. But um, (laughs) Mm. the thing about it is what we're dealing with is um, reclaiming autonomy for our own self-determination. Those key words, those wajala words that are um, sometimes taken over by the colonial system and warped around, Mm. we have to start creating our own sense of autonomy and dialogue so that people can understand that that's our language within the official realm. Because without those kinds of mechanisms for us and our terminology, then they get taken over by the colonial system and we can't even see that happening. We have to really make those solid transitions to talk about history. And one Mm -hmm. of them is to look at the whole way that our early um, ancestors did it, which was basically telling knowledge through uh, stories, of course, Mm -hmm. but um, it's the translation of information between communities with respect there's no more of those kind of um you know we shouldn't have any other kind of um debates about oh you can't talk about other people's country but
2: Mm.
1: there's that knowledge that when you actually are in a zone of talking about transference of knowledge you are participating in the same stuff that your ancestors did which was Mm sort of like what we're doing now in the show is I'm talking to you from Buddy My Country as a representative of it, talking to you as a representative of your community and family in particular. Mm. But see the whole thing is that is is with kind of resistance, it's really about knowledge first because knowledge is freedom.
0: Basically. And connection mm. as well. Um well it was
1: all connection. You can't mm, do it without it. That's it, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um and one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the program as well is because nearly every year, you know, multiple times I always share like a really, really awesome painting of yours as well. I remember I shared it a few years ago and you're like mm. and, and, and you like sort of checked me and said, Oh, you know, like you know, make sure I always contribute you as an artist, which I always do. When I always share that post as well. And if you're wondering what uh, the image that I was uh, always sharing—it's uh, the image of a uh, very staunch and strong, fierce-looking Aboriginal warrior, by the name of of Wallya from Tasmania. Like, um, you've also painted other other First Nations warriors as well, which we'll sort of get into that uh, soon. But I just want to sort of get an understanding of you know, where this interest in history and art came from, uh, from yourself.
1: Mm, I'd like to talk about the image itself first because it's oh, better. definitely,
0: of course, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, look at, you, when you're looking at the image itself, it's actually a confrontational image for people who are not First Nation, like yes. people who aren't Blackfellow, because what it's doing is offering, she's standing out there and holding, uh, she used to have two guns, she stole them Hmm. One of them was a fowler which was only used for like um, bringing down birds and the other one was a proper man's rifle like it was a heavy thing and she was only a short woman herself so she's holding two guns, one's tucked in her her belt and um, the other one she's holding it and she's gesturing out to the viewer to come and help her raid a a farm down in the valley there Hmm. and you can see the smoke in the distance of the farm. What she did was extraordinary. She got, she wasn't even like 23 years old, not even 20, 22, 23. She managed to have a band of over 30 guys and women mm. um, to, to push these farmers and encroaching people out of these areas that were important to her and mm. her f- the people that she came across.
0: Could you tell a little she bit more into- about her, her story as well and how she sort of became, you know, the Wally Aaron image?
1: I'll get to that, but I've got get to the image because okay, really, a please. lot of her, sorry, a lot of the, a lot of her raids began as soon as sunset, as soon as the sunset. Mm. The story goes that I heard from a few people from there as she do her raids at night. And um, that's why it's moonlit. And she's, she's got, um, she's gesturing to the audience to come and help her raid that thing, which really makes a, a strange feeling in people that aren't first nation because mm. here they are, they have to acknowledge it straight away, exactly what she's up to. And it's even confronting to Wadjala men too, mm. for the fact that this is an Aboriginal woman doing it mm. because in our setup, when it came to resistance, um, a lot of the men are recorded about doing resistance, but very few women mm. and she was made an example of basically very early on and um I think people forget that when it came to every everything about our communities, especially particularly those of us which are based in matriarchy law or whatever, and that's L A W, not L O R E, um, is that um you know our roles were separate but equal and i mean really equal and that included Mm. resistance and my own mother actually we were pretty good at doing sabotage and Mm. the women were so i really paid that kind of homage into that image because Mm. and i know that feeling what it's like when when you're confronting something that's irregular and Mm. and unjustified and scary and racist and
2: mm.
1: and and all that you've got to have a sense of fear when you actually are in resistance so that's in her face mm. she she knew that she was at the brink of death or life when she was in resistance so mm. that was the look that I tried to give her face but she looks a little bit cheeky as well
2: mm. Mm.
1: And that comes from a knowing that she succeeded before. And what she did was early on, she was, she had a childhood sweetheart. Um, she was um, involved with him. And what happened was her, her, her community were out doing hunting or something like that. I think it was. And these Wudgelers came along and they stole them. So her and her boyfriend, husband, it was basically claimed up to each other, got mm. taken away in these boats by these sealers. And sealers was, they were sealing like, you know, like, you mm. know, those the sea creatures, basically. They were destroying the land and the sea by uh, killing all the seals they could get for seal oil, which were, f- were for lamps and things. These Wajalas, mm. white people. And they came across their little little group, and they stole them all because they thought they'd make slaves out of them, but it really the, what they were trying to do was mm. kill all the men that they could find and steal the girls for slaves sex slaves mm. and they put her husband and her on the boat, and then they 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 um threw him off the side, and the common practice was if someone tried. This is a bit grisly, but if anyone tried to get back in the boat, they'd chop their hands. And um, so she saw all that and it must have really been a terrifying experience, but something else happened in her mind was probably the kernel of resistance. So she was taken probably very young, like 14, 15 or something. Mm. Her promised husband, her love was dead. So they took her on as a slave, and in the process of all that kind of, you know, abuse that she suffered, she managed to get away. She got a fowling rifle, which is a a gun. Sorry, it's so like a an old kind of scoring gun, which is they're quite heavy. I've actually felt one once, and they were commonly used um, not only to kill birds but people with. Them. So she got one of these guns and another one, which was unheard of for our mob to actually really get hold of guns, apart from you hear it from Jandamar and all these Mm. others, that they did get rifles and they're really good at it. So she got hers and along her journey, she picked up a lot of people, um, members of her own mob as well. But her band of um, resistance were all from all different areas you know once yeah. people that knew that she was coming and they wanted to to risk their lives in order to get to get justice as well yeah. as to keep them out of their land so her journey began that way she yeah. she took under she took on the role of not not so much not so much as a as anything other than a hero for her people and there was no kind of no no, even not one man ever gave her shit for that apparently. So that mm. sort of says a lot about her, um, mm. her effectiveness mm. and it scared everyone from Launceston right up to the major governments of the mm. day that there was this woman there that was not going to take any, mm. not going to take any ball stuff. And, as far as I know, um, she, there's no rec- records of her ever hurting anyone, but I reckon she would
2: have.
1: Mm. Um, you don't not hurt someone when you've got a gun. So mm. what happens is um, these farmers would set up their places within days on country. They could build a, a ramshackle hut in sort of like less than a week. Mm. and then start shooting every bit of wildlife around there. And that sort of does disturb the local mob. And then her mob would turn up with about 30 people and then shoot these guys away. They'd Mm. burn their fields. They'd burn their huts, Mm. um, you know, shoot their horses, whatever they can get their hands on and then make sure that they'd never came back for a several whatevers. Mm. So what happened in the end was she actually, she actually died of a, she actually died of disease not from mm. not from um you know not from being hurt any other way i think and um i don't know if i really i don't really focus on how they end yeah i focus on how they lived so
0: that, that's sort of
1: one every, of the every things. every image yeah. i do is has, <clears throat> has to be empowering mm. every painting mm. has to be empowering there can't be mm any image that I make that doesn't have Mm. that. I don't do things like massacres or
0: anything. Well, well, I I think, like, you know, like, it's more, I guess, sadly, like, it's more common for our mob to sort of know more so about the massacres that, you know, um, happen to our our mob uh, than than we do more so of, like, the warriors who sort of, you know, fought for our mob um, as well. So, like, like, like with that as well, I I sort of take, you know, uh, the same approach to what I'm doing. You know this podcast, or even when I just think about you know the worries or like when I post your image, uh, uh, your painting, and other images or stories, I cut off the end where they say how that how this person died. You know, like
1: well, the thing is, is um, the empowering thing about our mob is that even while this is so amazing, I I um got family. I'm related to Noongars through marriage through my great uncle Frank, mm-hmm. and um. He married a Nanup woman, Grand auntie Dot, and she told me stories about the horrible, you know, the fights down here in the southwest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I got involved in an exhibition about the Panjara massacre. And I realised, as I was researching that, that um, that there was even the moment of of the massacre going on, there were people preserving their lives as an act of resistance. Mm. So you don't find very many massacres where people didn't do that. So if you can, if you can look at those sort of moments of those horrible, horrific situations, there's always some that get away to tell the tale. And those are lives of resistance. Those are people Mm. empowering, Mm. with, with knowledge. Cause mm. if you have one person that survived it, that's an evidence of freedom that mm. that was taken from them in a moment. So, and I talk about that a lot because my great, great grandma, Melbourne, she survived uh, a massacre and she survived it to end up becoming exactly like Walia, which was a slave, a sex slave at, the, at a young age. Mm. to the Oliver Brothers in Buddy My Country. And the massacres in our area weren't recorded very well, but the resistance was.
2: Mm.
1: So that's interesting. And it was recorded from oral history from our mob. Mm. And the the reason why when you ever see these kind of, these maps that come out, um, they don't really focus on anything in WA because of the way that they did their massacres, which was to hide it very Mm. well. And the reason was, this is horrible to say, but the Wadjalas didn't talk about or boast about their massacre exploits because there were no white women there. And at the time that these massacres occurred in the 1860s and 70s, they were petitioning European, you know, England and all that for male order brides and it also goes right into the stolen gen as well Mm -hmm. because they stole all these young girls to make them sex slaves and then these kids started being formed you know from these kind of Mm -hmm. situations so at the moment that they should have been recording all the exploits and that they did everywhere else they hid their evidence. Mm. But in the moment of that sort of situation, um, you know, you you have families that do hold on to information about these sort of situ- things going on.
2: Mm.
1: And our family in particular, our community in Budimeyer, know a lot of about the backstories about a lot of these colonials and what they got up to. And one of them was A.O. Neville, you know, Mr. Devil,
2: Mm.
1: the chief protector of Aborigines and stuff. The one that came up with the original ideas of eugenics within Stolinger. Mm. We sort of know that he started out with a mercenary intent because he'd fathered kids himself. So Mm. he wanted to hide the whole kind of, in a mercenary act, hide these kids away so that these new brides from Europe wouldn't be so embarrassed about Mm. what they're, angelic husbands got up to before they married him hmm. so and that include the massacres as well and the resistance as well you see but all hmm. of our mob know this that's why we're documenting it a lot now
2: hmm.
1: and have been for the last 15 16 years or so because hmm. i mean ultimately when you tell these stories to wadjalas what you're doing is what you're doing is telling them to their face that racism is insanity. And um, <laughs> it yeah. is. and uh, it only, doesn't only hurt us, but it hurts them too. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I find in Resistance Fighter Group how funny how people try and solve their cognitive dissonance by telling me about sort of stories that are very, very rare of wadulas that help blackfellas to resist. Mm. and they kind of come up with these stories about it which is true but it's not the zone for me to talk about those why don't they do their own anyway yeah all, <laughs> or there's like a all
0: there's, well there's this love affair between a black and a white and
2: you know, all that and, kind of yeah. stuff it does yeah.
1: exist in a sense but um purely if there's no power involved okay. or autonomy for a, us
0: per, 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 what's the word paternalistic sort of point of view as well like this like it sort of you know takes away from you know the, the bigger picture of us sort of you know narrating and telling that story as well.
1: It is. I mean,
0: mm.
1: see, the whole idea is I might be fair looking and whatever I do look fair, mm. but because of rape and assimilation, mm. but I know that um, the idea of how I was raised is that doesn't make any difference to the Wadjelas that knew my family. Yeah. I mean, you know, and uh, the thing about me though is I was raised exploiting that fair look the, fa- the fairness of how I looked mm. in order to help my family like a bit of a spy so, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and that 's what Wadgel scared of as well is the idea that amongst them might be a black fellow that 's scramming information <laughs>
2: mm. 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 <laughs> that yeah, is true
1: mm. and I mean if you acknowledge what love is within a family that our mob takes anyone Definitely. you know mm. and if they can and I'm one of those generations that I'm actually me and my twin sister were the only ones that weren't taken in our family mm. all my cousins were taken all seven or eight of them
2: mm.
1: they were all taken away so for whatever reason the great ancestors had not in mind about me being here um mm. I've made use of that knowledge and I find it when I look at people like resistance fighters in general, um, if, if, if they acknowledge the fact that a woman can be a resistance Mm. even now from our own mob and, Mm. and I've, I'm really happy that that image has been embraced by men, blackfella men, Mm. as well as women, I, I guess too, but more, more in a way from men because, um, uh, you know, our Our men folk get a hard time more than us in a sense, because and then they're not given enough they're not given enough credit for that in a sense. Our women mm. folk hold things together, but in our family circumstances had it that our men folk died earlier than the women, so our sense of ourselves in our community as as women, survivors, right of all that mm. shit um is under is really in the knowledge that our men folk die early from from racism basically mm. Mm. and when i show images of resistant fighting women and then having that acknowledged by men folk mm. actually really comes down to the core of how our communities treated each other you know in an equal mm. way mm. between genders in a proper way which was Based in respect, there was no patriarchy in it, as much as I know, and I mm. know, and in my community there wasn't. Mm. Our knowledge was separate but equal. Mm. So you had men's business and women's business, and then when that when that journey of the of the year or whatever was to look after the land, you come mm. together, and that was how the community kept help for each mm. other. Mm. You are, so that comes to that comes to like you know the basic thing about respect that we have within each other and our communities. And I'm fully, fully aware that I'm from a family of artists, because, you know, um, you know, for whatever reason, our men folk, you know, didn't, didn't last because of racism. A lot of them suffered horrible things like being slaved. I mean, when when they took hold of our men folk within their industries like the pastoral industry or the mining industry or whatever mm. they flogged them to death mate they 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 did not give a shit if our men folk died from from being overworked
2: mm.
1: and that's because they were seen as nothing more than animals mm. to be driven into the ground and mm. People don't realise that, that that's what happened. And when we look at resistance that happened clandestinely, this is how it worked is our menfolk in our community worked for the wagglers, but the women would go around and do sabotage mm. <laughs> in the back of it. So mm. their menfolk would stay with their jobs, but then the women would steal blankets and, and you know, steal vital equipment from them in order to keep their, Keep them, you know, on, yeah. in a kind of a funny kind of resistance, but it still existed. People yeah. don't know there's a lot of nuance to resistance. I'm mm. of a sort of like very good at that. Like you can do it with humour as well. Yeah. So <laughs> you can still can still have ownership over a situation, if um, you know, you can you can sort of sit with a status quo, but not really if you are in resistance, you never stop,
2: mm.
1: you know? And mm. that's purely about morale and, and keeping yourself going in, in a sense of self esteem within the place where you are, you know, that you've mm. you're in a shit situation with people who've got guns and everything else, but that doesn't mean you give up. Mm. There's very many different forms of resistance.
2: Mm.
1: and I don't think, you know, I think it's, I think it would be good if our artists really focused on, on these more intimate stories about that, because mm. without that kind of stuff, without the nuances of understanding of our history within our art, then it's just going to get forgotten.
2: Mm, mm. Well, People before, don't
1: know that we had a life like that, mm. you know?
0: Well, before, like you mentioned um, some interesting things that um, we we'll are not to touch on, obviously that point of view of um, how prominent, I guess, you know, average women were in the resistance. Um, but then also, you mentioned um, um, the way that we t- sort of tell our stories and, and capture like the history of these resistance fighters. You know, some are through your, your, your narrative is through art and uh, your painting, others is through film. Um, you know, um, Uncle Kev Carmody, his son, I believe, wrote a poem called Maltagara. Um, and then Uncle Kev turned it into a song. Um, I actually played it. Um, actually, uh listened to it. Sorry, uh, it's it's an awesome song. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like like we tend to use these platforms, uh, to to, to tell these stories of um of our people, you know, and yours is through art. How did it start with you? You know, when did you want to um use your art form as a way to tell those resistance stories in the history of these mobs?
1: Um. I don't know when it began. It's for the kind of osmosis sort of stuff. What do they got, like big lawadula word, but. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the reason why I started doing art is based on it, it's a family way mm. they do it. Because my, my first, the first way that people know how to give you a job is when they start you young. And my mum was actively meeting people on public transport to try and knit her family together.
2: Mm. In
1: secret ways before the Freedom of Information Act and all that, she was looking on public transport for family that were missing. Mm. So, and we were little, we were like two or three years old. She'd send us off to people that she thought looked like family to find out what their names and stuff and get engagement with them early. So Carol would go up and try and pretend to write their story and I'd pretend to draw them. And we were twins, so it was like a double act. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And uh, that's how we began was really, um, I don't know what you'd call it, the soft side of getting to know community together again. And my Mm -hmm. mum in that moment was a resistance fighter Mm -hmm. to me. And I think a lot of people are like that. I've seen that when when men folks sit on verandas after major life events and they'll sit there trying to knit their communities together by sitting on the front front veranda or something with a cup of tea or whatever, trying to to knit the family together after that sort of thing, usually funerals, unfortunately, but Mm. sometimes weddings and everything else, those acts of resistance are important. Mm. They inform you what those things are and, My mum decided I was going to be an artist even before Mm. I did, I guess. Um, So when I started doing resistance, it was really, you can't help but look at your own family and their forms of resistance to help you inform what you want to do in life. Because um, unless that's broken by some idiot, that comes along and tells you what you should be doing Mm. in order to have things like like money. Um, I think I think, when you know you're in a family that's that's pretty strong-willed is when they allow you to do what you want to do. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to that, that, you know, every path, if you have enough resistance in yourself to do what you want to do, that's good enough. Mm. And my yeah. nana wanted to do art because somewhere in the family, our family have always done that kind of, need to transfer information.
2: Mm. So
1: my nana got given a box brownie, even though she was a stolen gent stuck in doing laundry for Wadjalas, mm. stuck in a institution or well, she was stuck in St. Joseph's orphanage working for nuns. Someone gave her a box brownie camera. So she started photographing everything.
2: Yeah, awesome.
1: So that was her form of resistance in the arts. And my mum got a scholarship when she was 14, but had to leave, a scholarship to do art at 14, but she had to leave that because she was the oldest daughter and there was no food in the house. So she had to go and work. Mm. So my mum had to give up her art career and that was purely because they had no money. So when I, when I realized that sort of stuff, I think that's what made me want to do art as well. But, Mm. um, I remember the first sort of resistance fighters for me were my family. And then I'd Mm. get ideas from other people about other resistance and other families, Mm. see how it grows. Mm. And then I realized that there were particular people that were resistance fighters that everybody knew about. Mm. And so I started doing pictures of Rob Riley and, and, um, you know, I used to do images of Rob Riley is one of the early, early resistance fighters within kind of um, getting our our international rights met Mm. within a framework of colonial uh, domination or um, dispossession, all these other Mm. words. He was the ones that started out things like the AMS and the ALS, like the Aboriginal Medical Service and the Aboriginal Legal Service, Mm. these basic services for us. He's the guy that sat there and said, no, you can't negotiate us as second class citizens. We want our own because you're not meeting our needs. Mm. And that was because he wanted the end game to be us to be self-determined with our own universities, our own schools, pretty much reflecting how, you know, more progressive democracies, and this isn't a democracy, this is a monarchy, but anyway, Mm. um, more, more places like say England and British Columbia and the United States
2: mm. and
1: all those who actually have their own institutions and, and places where they can be more empowered, you know, mm. in a setup of dominate, dominant uh, colonialism or whatever. But that's never happened for us, sadly. And mm. when I actually did Walia and for an exhibition I did, which was called, um, um, you know, um, it was basically called Wild Message in my own language. Um, the thing about it was they'd just broken up Atsic, which was one of the baby brainchilds things that Rob Riley had done. Mm-hmm. So you sort of can see the history of how Walia the painting, was born was based mm. on something that Rob Riley had done. And, and when they broke up Atsick like that, they really they really hurt us in a sense about our direction towards things. But even before then you could see them doing it. So rather than anything else, I think, I think we're long overdue for um, other changes in how we're perceiving ourselves,
2: mm.
1: you know, and, and maybe the internet is one of the major ways we can do that. Like well, I've seen it where our mob is setting up our own online courses Mm. our own methodologies and knowledge, because there is, there is indigenous research methodologies out there that come from our own community. That's a big long name for how we transfer knowledge and how Mm. more important it is for us to, to say that we have methods of teaching ourselves. Thank you very much. We don't need your ways of doing it, the colonial ways and frameworks. Mm. And that's all happening online. And if those zones are the only things that have left for us, you know, then we should utilize them and create our own things from that, like literally rock solid institutions. Mm. If they're not going to give it to us any other way, we're going to have to do it virtually and begin from that. And not Mm. so much have, I mean, we need resistance fighters for sure. We need, Mm. we need our own sort of sense of individuals that will stand up and say, no, this is, this is the story we know you know and that's why you know your show is one of those things
2: Mm.
1: it's more important to to actually express your freedom in any way you want Mm. to change the to change the narrative that they're trying to do for us Mm. i mean Mm. people get angry when i say us and them but that's the paradigm that they create anyway
0: that's it it still exists That's,
1: that's the way it is yeah I mean, the thing is, you know, it can always. I'm such a kid when it comes to this. I say, "Well, you started it." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. You know, and this is how it's going to end. Is, you know, mm. well, despite, was... we're only 2. Point, you know, we're 2.8 percent of the population. Mm. There's more of them than us. Mm. But the thing about that is, <laughs> it doesn't mean that we end up saying quiet about what we are. That's it. Yeah. You know. Mm.
0: And whether they, you know, own up to the fact that they started it, they still definitely perpetuate and benefit from it as well. Um, they do,
1: what, they do. That's mm, terribly true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, you know, chatting with you beforehand as well, found out that you've done um, some other resistance fighters as well. You, know, you painted Dunderling mm. uh, as well. Could you tell us a bit about how you got onto painting Dunderling?
1: I did him in a series with um, um, kind of um mosquito Mm. a few of these other resistance fighters in a series and it's a middle-sized picture so it's more intimate it's like a Mm. it's actually a head and shoulders image so that it's more lifelike and actual in the Mm. actual form of a human and those when you do a portrait that is of the same proportion as a human body it's really confronting to people to see that and Mm. I got information about his life online because a lot of the stuff I find about is online and doing a lot of research, but it's nothing when you don't actually talk to family. So I tracked down uh, two family members, one of them through a friend of mine and from Murray way from mm-hmm. Queensland. And mm-hmm. they gave me more information from the actual community with a lot of research they'd done themselves and they were organizing, uh, memorial things for him. Um, they were organizing books and everything at the time. So I did an image of him and he's got, he's got feathers in his hair and he's holding a spear and he's pointing to his heart Mm. and all around him is his life story, basically.
2: Mm,
0: mm.
1: I'll, I'll share that image with you and you can have a look I think you know what it is anyway
0: mm. Might do, well, I don't know Well I actually yeah. um, bought a copy of a book uh, That Libby yeah. Connors did A couple of years ago um, mm. Still trying to read it I've actually interviewed her um, uh, as well. Would love to get on the, on this podcast To talk about the book as well <clears throat> um, How do you paint um, and I guess this might go for Wally and sort of the other um resistance fighters that you've painted. How do you paint somebody um with not knowing what they look like as well? How, how do you sort of get get a mental image of? of
1: well, of I, I like? didn't start the portrait of Dandali unless I had a look at his relatives, so mm, <laughs> mm. and I have a look. What I do is i I find historical photographs you know, Mm -hmm. that are in archives from the area that these, these resistance fighters lived and literally try and imitate the facial features from that area. Mm. So I go right back in because that comes from how my mum used to recognize family members was basically, you know, (coughs) how their Mm -hmm. nose looked or how their forehead, you know, was, you know, made the kind of cheeks and, cheekbones everything reflected Mm. our family features and that's why she used to pick them out on you know public transport Mm, and and then when you look at resistance fighters i tried to get them as close to the actual community or even family features Mm. of that resistance fighter because in a way it's like from our way in our particular community, how you recognize there's no word for stranger. See,
2: Mm.
1: there's no word for it in our community. And that's because, because the concept isn't there in a sense, spiritually or anything like that. And that's because facial features played a very important role in, in things like knowledge and trust and, and, um, you know, family connection and everything else and it's the same it's a very visual thing you go oh that person there i know that mob they're like you know they're a latham or they're a Mm. um a murphy or whatever because of their way that their face is made up and Mm. if you can and i'm a portrait painter and that comes from something that is in our family anyway so that's the reason why i do paint portraits and why it's so easy Mm. um
0: when, when I can you, look at a sorry? I can
1: look at someone and then imitate their someone will tell me, Oh, can you draw this story? I'm at this point now, I'm such an idiot, but uh, I'm at this point now where I can someone will tell me, um, okay, draw draw one hmm. of the Yarins or the or the Brofos or, or whatever or the I don't know, the 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 nanops or whatever and straight away I know what one would look like. Hmm, exactly. And that's after that's after years and years and years. But I've met elders who can tell in a minute. Okay, so mm. I'm not like
2: <laughs>
1: mm. I'm a portrait painter but I know it in a way by doing it. But when you come across an elder that can know who's who's who and who in a crowd mm. of people, that is really that mind that's mind blowing mm. when you meet the mob, so <laughs>
2: What
0: yeah. uh, you know when I guess researching, or even when you're sort of putting, um, I don't know if it's a paintbrush to cut to canvas. What sort of the journey that you go through when um sort of you know painting these warriors?
1: Um, oftentimes it's really an emotional journey. Every painting's like that. You're not like a. See, I've done film too. And I know people who are filmmakers, so each the image mm. sort of looks like a film still. Mm. And that's because I grew up with that whole kind of looking at cinematics. And, you know, I grew up seeing film. My mum is mm. a film buff. So um, she's a connoisseur of B grade movies, okay? And mm. um, what I grew up with was seeing, um, you know, the. I think it must be in my own mind where I'm able to like I'll blink and I'll capture an image that might be good for a picture Mm. or you just know these certain moments that are historical. And I've, I'm really kind of, I'm really lucky to, I feel a bit like Forrest Gump, you know, like I'm stuck in history and Mm. I, I make sort of, I make images of things that have, You can sort of picture in your mind about what Mm -hmm. that might have been like for that individual Mm -hmm. in that Mm -hmm. moment. And what it is about is is finding as much information as you can about that that person, that resistance fighter. Mm -hmm. Get to know them as a human in that moment with Mm -hmm. that emotion, that intent, and then try and get what's in your head out on the canvas. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And you Mm -hmm. literally, I believe in like, they call it brinkmanship, Um, which means I paint these pictures really, really fast. And the only way that I can do them is fast. Mm -hmm. And I'm, while you took me two days to paint.
2: Whoa.
1: And and that's to be Brinkmanship. When, when you do an art work, that's that fast and furious, you, you're contacting something about how much, Mm. how much, um, you know, you, you lose who you are in that thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And one, of the why I asked, one of the reasons why I asked this is because uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Callum Clayton Dixon, he wrote a book called um, Surviving New England. Um, what's it called? It's called Surviving New England, The History of the Average of Resistance and Resilience Through the First uh, 40 Years of Colonial Apocalypse. It's a pretty good book. You should get great, it. Great, great. Um, yep. Through that, like this is, I pretty much asked him the same question. Um, you know, when doing the book, um, what sort of ride did you go? He said it was, he said it was, um, it was somewhat of a, an emotional ride, I guess, to sort of encapsulate everything that he said. Well, One, because it yep. was exciting because he, he was finding all this new information because there wasn't a, 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 um, you know, enough information about his mob. Um, it was just sort of chapters here, here and here and, or articles you know, over here and here and here. So he brought all those together, um, you know, and he said it was, it was, it was an amazing feeling because he was, uh, in the book, actually, he um, found a warrior, you know, um, and before he did the book, he was, one of his uncles said, oh, you know, I want to know if, if we have Ron Panaway, if we have Ron Yagen, you know, who was he? What was his name? What did he do? And he found that. Um, mm-hmm. So he went and took that article, or that, or that, you know. We printed it out and said, "Oh, Uncle, I found it. You know, he is one of the followers." You know, and pretty much the same thing you did was um, they painted the image based off an image of one of their old uncles, um, who I believe passed away as well, um, not long after. Um, but then he said he got towards the end of the book. He goes because after those four years of resistance, you know, um, Aboriginal people were, you know. Um, Somewhat, you know, uh, defeated uh, in terms of, you know, the colony and, and, and no, everything no, sort of being set No, no, it's just thing. <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'll I, I, I just sort of saying, um, you know, mm-hmm. he, he, his emotion sort of changed because uh, I guess the inevitable happened. You know, what they were fighting against as well. Um, yeah, did, yeah. Do you did you sort of get that towards the end of the images that you paint as like, uh, oh, you know, like this is an image of an individual who, you know, uh, through the Either through their actions and the circumstances, you know, uh, lost their lives because of um, who they were and what they represented.
1: Well, I've got to tell you about, it comes right back to how Buddy Myer's view death in general. <laughs> mm. um, we, we hate death. We're our, mm. In Buddy Myers, we rage, rage against the dying of the light. We fucking hate death, <laughs> okay? So whenever we, we actually see how someone passed away or we hear about a massacre and stuff, we get angry mm. at it. Mm. And that's the emotion that you have in order to empower yourself to get out of it, Mm. because death is the ultimate injustice if it's done by someone else on you. Okay. It's the denial of truth of everything that exists about us and who we are. Mm. So rather than we get sad, of course, for losing their life, Mm. The, the way that they, they, we loved them and that's gone. Right. But we rage against how it happened. And we look out broadly at how that happened. And usually it's because of something Mm. outside of ourselves that we had no control over at the time. But that doesn't mean we have to take on the older, the wadular idea that death is something Mm. you have to negotiate. No way. (laughs) Mm. You know? And Mm. when you look at, I may probably like that is when you empower yourself to do resistance fighter is in denial of the fact that they died because you're saying mm. no, there they are, they're living again right there. You're mm-hmm. saying, Now what really is the concept? You know, getting right into philosophy I guess, but what is the idea of resistance if it's if it's um if you're talking about how they died?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? The fact is that they lived, you know. And then you look at that, it's not like it's not like bright siding, which is a horrible thing to do other people or anything. Mm. It's basically saying, you know, when you look at a resistance fighter, the empowering thing about them is the fact that, that, um, that someone in their family remembered what they did and Mm. that you are contacted that family member. The fact that that, the fact that someone remembers a story of a life like that is empowering to know. It's like an amazing moment when you meet across a descendant, (laughs) You know, I meet a lot of, I do a lot of resistance fighters based on a descendant coming up and telling me about it. Or I'll do a resistance fighter with this unknown knowledge of why. And sometimes I've been in that situation. And it's purely because I've been tracking down a story like what Callum did. You know, it's like you do go on a journey of information and suddenly there's this man there, like, or a woman like a resistance fighter saying hey how you going and the next thing you know that leads you on to meet their descendants and then you find the more powerful resistance of them actually living Mm. with that story and knowing it so much as a part Mm. of a family context Mm. and then you realize that you are you're not alone you know your family did actually survive resistance but that a lot of our other families were surviving it just the same way. And every family has got a resistance fighter. That's why I love the, I love the idea of, you know, when we actually do talk about these empowering individuals that we're actually talking about our families as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that we mentioned off air as well um, is that how, you know, the, the, the relatives, the descendants um, of these warriors, you know, um, still maybe targeted, you know, because of, I guess, that, you know, warrior legacy that is attached to their name or, you know, essentially yeah. of, of their identity as well.
1: I did a, a major, I did a, the University of Melbourne were really trying to look at me once, like major times, so they did this big retrospective or survey, or some crap exhibition, which was like three, three stories in Melbourne University of just my staff and I'm not very mobile. I I'm actually can't really walk very well. So I was mm. stuck downstairs cause I was a bit too wind yarn to go upstairs to look at the other stuff.
2: Mm.
1: And a woman and a man came towards me and I'd done an image of a, of a of an old lady. And they came up and said, that's our great granny. And I mm. said, really? And most of the time at this exhibition opening, I was sitting there yarning to them and they explained who she was, and what her life was about, and everything else, and she was a bit of a resistance fighter because she she used to get bread for these mobs mm. to keep them going um, every day she was feeding her family at the point of being bashed up for it, so mm. and when you hear these kind of stories that a single family has a story of resistance about one old granny, i didn 't know that who this woman was because. I like painting pictures from these archives that are said to be unknown, you see. Mm. They get labelled as unknown. But then to meet the family of that woman yeah. and find her name, find... It's really emotional to go through that when you actually do find them because
2: mm.
1: then you realise exactly how much the Wadula system just did not give a shit about us, but we care,
2: mm-hmm. And then and, you realise, and I guess you know, the one, that they... Sorry.
1: Yeah, that whole thing about the families of resistance fighters being being targeted, right? Mm. That happens to every family that have got mm. someone that stands out above the the rest.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. And
1: I think,
0: yeah. Mm. Well, and I guess just, it is, and I guess just on that part as well, um, it just goes to show you how powerful sort of imagery is you because know, I'm sure, you know, other Aboriginal mob, you know, would have, once they would have understand the context of the image, that it was just an unknown Aboriginal person uh, from a mm. certain period of time. That would have like, yeah, you know, I can relate to that, um, you know, because of, of the history of, of my community, uh, you know, of, of my old people as well. I remember, like, um, I, I, uh, in the past, I've interviewed um, uh, Uncle Archie Roach, and he wrote, um, you know, when he wrote... Um, they took the children away. He was, he was in Sydney in '88. Um, all, it was around that time of '88, uh, bicentennial, uh, all these protests. And he was somewhere, and these um old fellows walked up to him and you know, um, and said, Oh, you know, your song is about me. You know, um, got, oh, and they go, Oh, who's you write that song about, you know, young fella? And he goes, Oh, I go like, oh, was me. Like, this is my story he goes oh why is that out there because he goes oh that's my story it's me and my siblings That's our story and you know like it's it's this powerful thing um that you know art um can do you know is you know um tell the story without sort of scratching the surface of who the story is about or or even experiences that individuals do yeah
1: see me i'm i'm a I really get angry at these, I don't know, when Mm. they gave us the Freedom of Information Act, right, they gave us freedom to look for our family members. Mm. So what that meant was in 1986, all of us young mob then had the right to go into these places that were excluded from us, like libraries and state Mm. archives. So we all flooded in there to try and do something very strange to these Wadjalas, which was to look for family together, to find Mm. them to get them together again. So we'd look at these huge, big, you know, you see them where you see all these mob lined up at missions. What they used to do is they line them all up and then from these photographs, these group photographs, they'd pick out who were the fair ones and then they'd steal them. Mm. And that's why our mob got scared of taking photos together because mm. you were, you're constantly aware that the reason why you're being lined up, that somebody in your community and family will be taken from you. Mm. So... Mm what happened years later is when we got the right to do freedom of looking at those images, it really meant freedom for us was the way that we could change that dialogue in these images mm-hmm. to find out where our family went. Mm-hmm. So whenever I see these unknown images, like it's merely really me being quite angry when I do mm-hmm. paint them because I want to know who their family are. So why do is I paint them to get them out in the public. So I will find family. Mm. So someone will come forward. And I'm really happy that it has worked in lots of ways. Mm.
2: That's awesome.
1: And what I find very good is I get a lot of these mob that give me pictures. They don't know who they are Mm. and they want me to paint them so they can literally find out if this family that still remember them or whatever.
2: Mm. That's
1: another way. And the other thing too is, I only I don't actually profit very much from it because I don't want it anyway but what I like doing is I like getting money to help me pay to do more art mm-hmm. and the rest of it goes back into the community in some sense yeah, so yeah. the the thing is is that one way or another it'd be really good if we had our own universities and things like that and
2: Mm.
1: getting our mob that are more self-determined through independent means like me who don't have to have a boss or nothing Mm. in order to to start empowering our community to do our own money making in order to make our own things for us and having and having that is more empowering to know where the money comes from and i mean the world's run on money and i guess Mm
2: -hmm. well it is Oh,
1: definitely. But oh, sure. the thing about it, the other system is also like the old literature trade. I'd love to see that again. Um, yeah. We do that too, but in a different way, it's mm. usually in the back of cars and stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, so saying...
1: I, I actually, I actually like seeing how, how, how my work is made. Is it's not just me tinkering away. When you look at the images that I make, some mm. of them are covered in like different. Things you know stuck on there, mm, and a lot of those mm. those elements are actually from other people. Now I don't go out and get them, mm. so I like creating things that other people can get involved in, so yeah. that there's no kind of there's no kind of me on me ivory tower or stuck away doing something by myself, because mm, mm. that's the that's the worst tendency of being an artist is to become self isolating. Ironically, mm, <laughs> <yeah.
0: laughs> mm. nowadays. Um, well, I guess sort of in this back end of our yarn, um, a lot of these images, are like a lot, of, a lot, of, yeah, a lot of the images and paintings that we've been talking about um, in this yarn, is a mm. continuation of sort of this resistance exhibition that you've been doing for how long now?
1: Well, well, before I did the exhibition, mm. I was doing pictures of resistance, and. Since then, the exhibition was in 2006. So mm. since then, I've been still doing them.
0: Mm, mm, so... yeah. Years ago, yeah. Um, and I guess as well, could you tell us some of uh, those uh, warriors that you've had uh, uh, painted as well? How many have you done? And um you looking to do some more? And Yeah,
1: yeah I've done Yagen four times. Yeah, Images of him four times. And I've got another one on the boil at the moment. And uh, that's because my nephews are a descendant from Yagan,
0: mm-hmm. and I, and I guess just uh, just really quickly for the people to tune in, who, is Yagen? who was Yagan.
1: was an early resistance fighter and leader from Noongar Nation. Mm. But he's from his mob were um, in the area where I live, which is on the foothills and in um, you know the Darling Ranges, going down yeah. the Canning River, that mm. sort of area. So I'm living literally in his stomping ground where he did do a lot of resistance against early settlers in a very similar way that Walia did, which was pushing them off his land.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and like, like, like you mentioned something really interesting before that you said, all these families, all, all, all black families have resistance fighters. Um, yeah. You know, me, my personal I only know a handful and half that comes from, you know, uh, looking at your art, you know, that, you know, that comes from, you know, reading Callum's book or, or, you know, living in Brisbane, you know, where Dungley is from, you know, growing up in Sydney, where Penway is. Like, you know, I guess, you know, with with sort of the literature or whatever's being put out about resistance fighters today, like we don't, we're not even scratching the surface in terms of, you know, the, the amount of resistance fighters um, that were, you know, participating in sort of, you know, um, you know that resistance in the first 140 years.
1: Well, when you look at Wadula history, they really like documenting how fantastic they were. A lot of these early murderers and -hmm. a lot of them that weren't murderers, they're just trying to, I don't know, they were just dirt poor trying to steal things. Um, You know that uh, colonialism is a huge sign of mediocrity, right? Mm -hmm. And from mediocrity, they always try and strip and steal from people who are great and resistance Mm -hmm. fighters are great people. Mm. So (laughs) mediocrity always used to like recording the greatness so they make themselves seem greater. So Wadula people always talked about themselves, but in the token they need to have some kind of mighty adversary. And that's Mm. where you find out about all these resistance fighters. You can't find some kind of frontier heroic narrative from these white Wadulas, right? Mm. The ones that are really mean and horrible without knowing that they were fighting against some brilliant fighters, and that's why, that's why it's important to go back into the Wadjala archives and reclaim them for whatever reason you have because they like talking about themselves but they definitely like talking about mob. And that's where I like, find every community has got someone in them that there's a resistance fighter. Mm. And I've actually come across whole families that were fighting. So, yeah, you know, in awesome. generations, like four or five generations, we have seen the same. Mm. You know, everyone, well, everyone yeah. in the family were in it. It wasn't just, you know, one individual. You, you yeah, come yeah. across them where they were like generations of them still going on and on and on.
2: Mm. I mean, that mm.
1: reminds me of the, the, um, the War Dandy mob down south here. Mm hmm. And they're still in resistance. They were known as um, the wor- they were known as the the major big threat in WA right up until the nineteen twenties. The War yeah. Dandy Mob, yeah. and and they, and I mean even right during the like during the Boer War, you know the mm-hmm. Boer War over in yeah, South yeah. Africa, yeah. they really thought that the War Dandy Mob would actually side with the Irish and take over WA. I'm <laughs> um, sorry, I mean you actually go down there you can see why mm. they did that. Because because they did not give up. Mm. There are some zones of those heroic individuals and whole families. They, they just refused to negotiate. They were really they were really wow. hiding something. They were really trying to keep something precious. And mm. when you go down to those places you can see why, because it's amazing country. Mm. And then when you go to these zones that there's a beautiful piece country, you can always find a family in resistance, and Sweet. that's what I love about our mob is because they know the land so well that they'll fight for it. So you know, I will
0: have to check that mob out. We'll have to have a another yarn off off air, and and you have to use some names after research and oh have yeah, friends, no worries. You'll have to yeah. call as well. Um, I guess just yeah, yeah. For la- uh Maybe just lastly as well. You know, um. Your form of telling, you know, uh, our history uh, as to art is there sort of another form, uh, or, or is there other people out there that you sort of respect that are doing great things who we should look up? Who the listeners should go, Oh, well, thanks, Julie. I'll go check out, you know, um, Gary Foley's online history stuff. I'll go read this. Oh, Blake, yes.
1: Don't yeah. mention
0: him, should, but please do that. Who should we,
1: who should we check out? Um. Um, Gary foley for for sure definitely. definitely course, Without yeah. him, nothing works on that. Mm-hmm. He started out when the internet began in ninety uh, six. Yeah, know the, hmm. yeah.
0: I think there's a story <laughs> of him going? actually saying where um he went to uni. I, I think it was like I think he studied like computers or something. Well, like you know, just so he could know how to sort of you know know the ins and outs of a computer, so he could put programs on and like make his own website yeah like you said like when it first started when the internet well was a
2: thing. I, as
1: soon as i got a computer which is a real dodgy run right because it's mm. all we could afford there he was he was yeah. there already
2: <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah
1: and, so uh, so folly and, yeah. and
0: his website is one um any, any other places we can direct listeners to
1: um i mean
2: where I can think, we find more of your uh, stuff
1: Oh, mine stuff. I've got a website, a few things. I'm always exactly. on social media, gabbing away.
0: What's your, but, what's your um, website? S- um,
1: sorry. Julie, okay, www.juliedowling.net. Awesome. So if people just want to go there and have a look at some art, I'm, I run it myself with another techie person.
2: Mm-hmm. And then,
1: so all that stuff is on there. I also run a lot of community things on there, too. So, um, and in mm-hmm. fact i should fix it up
2: a little bit anyway
1: um but uh, the other thing would be really interesting to talk about is how um one of the resistance that exists is in radio um
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: without radio i wouldn't have been able to even have a lot of the knowledge that i was grow- that i grew up with cuz uh radio was really something that connected all of us before before we could even get our hands on having our own newspapers or TV stations and things like that. It was mm. the place for us to record oral histories about mm. resistance and also to document and have news articles, everything. So if you ever want to look for something, go and check out archives. If you're one of these kind of research belt mob, if you want to start something new,
2: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: go after mm. that kind of thing.
2: Definitely.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know that a lot of these um, websites do have oral histories on them, but I reckon encourage someone to start something up with that because everyone wants to hear a story.
0: Definitely, definitely, and, yeah. And, and then also, you know, we're you know, listening to sort of, you know, pioneers and, and sort of you know, the radio or the airwaves, and, you know, sort of yeah. reawakening, you know, uh, old stories. Yeah, yeah, that's a very interesting thing we should... I yeah, look into that more often as well, but well, you know, because sorry.
1: yeah, I'm so, sorry about that. Yeah, I mean uh, the other two other thing is, the uh, uh, people that inspire me are people like Sandra Hill. She's another artist, and um, um Charmaine Cole. She's a she's a friend of mine. I'm sorry, like dropping friends' names, but no, she okay. records a lot of oral histories in her artwork as well. Um. I guess uh, it's mm. it's interesting when you actually when you actually do go into like major in, you know exhibitions and stuff the major mm. ones that you really if you type in resistance and art you'll find so much about artists that have been doing this already mm. even before I arrived so mm. you know there have been pictures of Pumalwai. If you look at colonial images too, mm. there's always an image of someone there that's made comment about a resistance fighter, mm. you know. Mm. A lot of, uh, one of the major sort of, you know, this whole kind of the romanticist tradition in art really like the idea of the resistance fighter, eh? Mm. Because it speaks to their whole kind of, you know, their enlightenment trope. Which actually was based in Rousseau, mm-hmm. and a lot of these early guys believed that 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 um, our resistance was something they'd never thought they'd encounter from us,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because they they'd thought that we would be like passive and do nothing. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when you look at actually how many wars there were
2: yeah.
1: when they arrived and not documented, that whole dialogue really shocked these early white artists because, and that's why you see a lot of the early colonial imaging of us, um, our mob, all of us was based on um, that kind of shock. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: and then the newspapers took over and that was where, where that sort of dialogue changed. But before all that, there was colonial artists, mm. Wadjilas taking images of us. And those, those are more important to look at in a sense too. Because then you'll see images of Pummelwoy and what he got up to, and mm. and um, Jagen too, and lots of that sort of stuff. But when the newspapers arrived in earnest, then you actually saw a change in that kind of that kind of wide-eyed kind of negotiation and actually realization that they weren't. This is the thing about it: when the newspapers arrived, the Wadjelas realised that they had the tyranny of distance. Tyranny yeah. distance mean they could get away with murder and no one would find out. The yeah. newspapers showed them that because they realised that, they realised that the world couldn't see what they were getting up to down here so they could hide it all. And that usually, that actually happened. That sort of moment was when WA got colonised. We were the last one colonised and yeah. invaded. So, and when you actually pay attention to that kind of trajectory, of how they did sort of colonize. No one actually really has mapped down the intricate parts of that apart from historians, but it needs to be more of like, more brought to the forward because, you know, you can't have, you can't have continual um, ownership over, over a message for very long. Mm. Tyranny doesn't last very long. No. Dictatorship doesn't last very long. Mm-hmm. And and the truth always comes out. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And if you, oh, another thing too, I like to go chat a yarn with someone yesterday
2: mm-hmm.
1: was that you think about the, the timeline of colonialism here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you compare us to United States, this continent here is still back in the 1820s. Yeah. You know,
2: we're
1: not, we're not, we've very nearly invaded. So the mentality there in colonial terms is very back in the eighteen twenties. So they're still in shock about how to how to try and oppress us. Mm. And that kind of, you know, less progressive sense of us being humans even. So Mm -hmm.
0: well you look at like uh, I'm sure like some of the last massacres, you know, in the nineteen twenties or late nineteen twenties, you know, if not our if not there are uh, are People of the generation, of that generation that, that may be still alive, or, or who, who we, we may have lost sort of in that generation over the last 10 or 15 years, that, you know, we're in and around, or, or the period of time when, you know, massacres are still being carried out, you know, or, or well, we're forced um, being forcibly moved from land to, you know, from one part of the, their country to another.
1: Well, the way that they've done, it, done us over is attacked us. We're still in stun mode at the moment. They've attacked us on the idea of us um, owning our land through the knowledge of our elders by sticking our elders through a process of native title, which is a lie. Yeah. And and you know that when you've been fighting them for 20 years and watching elders die one by one with the knowledge they had, that they really weren't listening to us,
0: you like know? Our mob fighting each other.
1: And that, yeah. that idea of futility in the face of their authority had nothing to do with the due process of law, which is supposed to be fast, not slow. Mm -hmm. They were not interested in the rights and the human rights that we deserved anyway. Mm -hmm. So what I find, I get really angry with that because they're playing with death Mm
2: -hmm.
1: basically. And as a buddy, we don't like death, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of our rights or our living life, you know? Mm -hmm. So when we look at that kind of stuff, you know, I, I find it, I find it really annoying when someone te- sort of tries to teach me how to live through the policies mm. they've made to, in order to make me die quicker, mm. in order to make me really negotiate the fact that I was a slave
0: mm.
1: and my family were a slave
0: <clears throat> and, and, and all that crap. And they don't live by them themselves. You know, no, and, they kept, and, and definitely not. definitely def, and, and they wouldn't let you know, um, their family or anybody live under these laws or you know, uh, in the conditions that you know, our mob live in as well. But I am just going to have to say as well, um, on that, you know, I want to say thank you for joining us, you know, uh, for joining me on this conversation as well, uh, to tell us a bit of history about, you know, your your art background and, and why you chose to sort of paint, um, you know, these important figures um, uh, who are and who have, you know, sort of changed the trajectory of, of our, of, our, of our lives, you know, to to, uh, to this point, and I'm sure further on as well, you know, very important, um, you know, artwork that you've done, and very privileged to have you, um, come on on my podcast and have this nah. run. <laughs> no,
1: nah, I don't like talking like that, but anyway, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, every yarn that you have with someone is really like a shared kind of wealth, anyway. Mm. So, the main thing is to keep the to keep sort of perfecting the truth of things because a lot of it was hidden from us and I might get some things wrong, but at least I'm having a go at it, I guess. And it's I mean, you know, it's important it. to, yeah. yeah. I mean, the intentions behind it, eh? Mm. And I think the most, um, the most I find um, great about things like your show is that it's new mm. and it can only get better. And, more info out there, and hopefully mm-hmm. people will see it as a place to go and negotiate things again.
0: Definitely all, and, you know, all people go out and sort of, you know, do their own thing that's like this, and they're creating spaces yes. where they can, you know, uh, continue these conversations in their own way. Whatever that, that may be, the same thing might be just a different show with a different name, or it might there might be an artist like you or a writer or whatever. Yeah, as long as we can yeah you know, create that sort of um, whatever it is for, you know, other people to continue this on, then, you know, like, I think, you know, our job, it just adds more excitement to what we want to do. Well, we try well, to do sorry. That's
1: it. That's it. Well, that's it. Because, you, you know, as what resistance fighters were, we're taking the first steps to saying, you know, no more. And this is one of those things. It's saying, look, now I'm standing up. This is what it is for me. Definitely. And that's what every family's done. So... You know?
0: And that's what and, that, and mean, that's what you these families and our families and other black families will continue to do as well.
1: Well, you know, I mean the centre of our family are our kids
2: mm.
1: and our elders. And the people are like the ones that are major resistance fighters, they they knew that, that what's what they were protecting was basically their own family. Mm. And and you have all these um, other people that tell us that we weren't doing that, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah.
1: And our knowledge is from our family and, and the land that we're on. But all these official things like historic and historians and all this other kind of stuff, they forget that moment. They forget that there's a real reason why. Mm. And when mm. they do that, they have to know that, that we were here first. So. That's it. That's it, yes. <laughs> That's yes. right.
0: Well, I guess on that note, thank you again um you know and if you're doing any new ones as well, I uh, would love to get you back on to have the chat about that and you know uh walking down the journey in terms of painting uh any new worries that you do
1: great we're all bubbing you, and um you know hopefully that um you know this goes out as further as it can.
2: Hmm. <laughs>